and welcome back to the Get Back Coach Season 2. Now presented by Apollo Media. Myself, Jake, here with my partner, Jay. Jay, what have you been up to since the end of last college football season? Well, it's it's a dark time, uh, obviously, when college football isn't on TV. So I've been comforting myself uh, with loads of Texas barbecue and alcohol consumed out of a shoe in the style of Tai Tuivasa. Uh, but, yeah, just uh, basically I have been waiting for college football to get back. And now that we're into the doldrums of summer, it's almost time. Uh, obviously, you know, NHL playoffs have been good. NASCAR has got the next-gen car that they broke out. I'm enjoying that quite a bit. Uh, professional sports-wise, Chicago is kind of an embarrassment. I know you probably uh, have some similar thoughts on what uh, your city has done in professional sports. But, uh, yeah, I can't wait for college football to be back. <laughs> Same. Um, Philadelphia sports are just ruining my life. Uh the, the Flyers are a dumpster fire. Uh, the Sixers lost in Sixers fashion. Um, the Phillies are on a four-game win streak, but they're four games below 500 with a massive payroll. So um, things aren't looking good. So <laughs> I need college football to come and just consume my life again because Philly sports is just absolutely wrecking it. It's- I guess the good thing is that now that you mentioned we're with Apollo, uh, the Astros are doing great. So that's that's good for them. So that's good. That's good for us. That's good for yes, us, right? Exactly. For we're, we're all for winners in that situation. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What, what's the USFL? What do they got? The the Houston Gamblers. That's uh, Gamblers. My, my coach, Kevin Sumlin. Oh, that's uh, Sumlin, right? Yeah, Sumlin coach. So uh, they've they've had some uh, some rough luck with the uh, late game comebacks this season, but uh, you know it's, it's still good to see old Summy out there coaching. I caught a few games. It's good. I mean, it's a good. It's a good product. I think it's a way. Yeah. It's a lot better product than the XFL tried to do. Um, you know what? Ten years ago? Or, oh wow! Wait, twenty years ago? Yeah, um, but I don't know. I still think the new XFL was pretty good. It was they good. Brought I mean, it back in twenty twenty. There was a RIP. lot of good guys. Um, I can't think of his name, but there was that like, the one linebacker from I think Arizona State. Um, plays for Birmingham. Um, there's a lot of really good guys. And I know Emmanuel Beal from Oklahoma plays for uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, so there's a lot of good names. And my uh, of- my guy Luis Perez from Texas A&M Commerce <laughs> playing quarterback. Right. I know Sh- uh, Sharif Mill. I mean, we, 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 can, we can sit here and we can talk about all these different guys who are really good at college that now have a new home in the USFL. Um, I'm just happy the Philly Stars made it. The Stars made it with their <laughs> – Steve Buscemi alien looking uh, mascot. Uh, it's it's wonderful. So anyway, we're going to go back and talk about college football now. Um, the first storyline I want to talk about from 2021 is one of the more wild storylines. And I'm not talking about Georgia winning the national title. Not, to, not talking about Harbaugh finally making the playoff. We're going to save that for a little bit later. But I think the most interesting storyline was the rise and fall of Coach O. Like the great myth of Icarus who flew too close to the sun. He just, I don't know. I don't know what happened. It was like <laughs> caught lightning in the bottle. It's like when they won that national title, it was like, oh, he's never leaving. Yeah. Like he, he's, he's there for life. And, then and he's just, the, the perfect cultural Louisiana fit. Like 
the dude is from from the bayou and i mean obviously it was a storm a perfect storm right you had joe burrow who just became an absolute all-star uh you had guys like jamar chase clyde edwards alaire uh, I mean, there's just so many talented people on that team, and it just—I mean—they caught fire, and it was—I mean, obviously, as an A&M fan, I didn't have fun watching that game in Baton Rouge, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was like they just put it all together all at once, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> uh, you, you go to the next season, and then the the cracks really started to show, mm-hmm. and then obviously in 2021, it was just like, well, yeah. LSU was ready to move on in a hurry. Uh, and I mean, I can't really blame him. It didn't seem like uh, Coach O was going to be able to, to, to really bring it back, especially uh, with uh, the chain of events that was set off when LSU decided to, to get rid of Coach O. Yeah, it was – I mean, and here's the thing. And, and we said this, um, you know, last year that, you know, Coach O built that team. You know, all those juniors that graduated, th- those are all his rec- – that's that was his first recruiting class. That Those are his guys. Got Joe Burrow from the transfer portal. So Coach O created that team. This isn't a Gene Chizik situation who won with someone else's guys. O built that team. But the yeah. problem was once they got there, they had all of these guys leave early because they knew, I mean, they weren't going to go any higher in the draft. And they just couldn't replicate it. And, and it was also, I mean, the, the coordinators leaving too. I mean, yeah. oh, Aranda yeah. and Brady both. I mean, Aranda especially, I think. Uh, is, look at what he's doing at Baylor. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, but it's, it's it was a, it was it was just lightning in a bottle, like you said that uh, you know it wasn't sustainable. Obviously, LSU is going to get talent. I mean, being the the number one program, pretty much unopposed in the state of Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean. You have other programs there, but nobody on the level of LSU. Uh, I mean, they're always going to get talent in, but it, it, I don't think people realize how hard it is to put it together for a full season. And, I mean, that, that 2019 LSU run was just uh, a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, it's there are a lot of very good teams that have – I mean, I know it's a cliche thing to say, but there's a lot of very good teams, elite teams – that have that didn't win the national title yep. like you need all you need so many things to go your way and you need a couple breaks also to go your way um and you know they still had some talent left over but there i think there are just too many holes in some of those areas i mean you had the the 2020 uh you had the covid year which was tough on everybody but then the next year i think it was average on the field and then also coach o ruffling some feathers off the field yeah you know it, apparently hitting on uh the the pregnant aunt of or the a pregnant yeah family member of someone on the board and then like ha- having girlfriends at practice and... yeah the girlfriends at practice having their kids <laughs> go through drills um you know i mean um i mean hey he got i mean he got divorced which i know was not easy on anybody had the 24 year old girlfriend who was a graduate student again more power to you but i think there (laughs) there was almost like he became a caricature of himself it it was i think like he became uh, self-aware like he became the legend of coach o right he wasn't just coach o anymore he was he was like the fictionalized 
version of himself from uh, from the Blind Side. <laughs> <laughs> I always forget that he was the coach in that when he was at Ole Miss. Oh yeah, like, but that was a dumpster. Fu- but before we move on, like him at Ole Miss was a dumpster fire. It's too. terrible. It was and I, I think he really is at his best whenever he's motivating kids that are in. Uh, like whenever he comes in as an interim coach, interim coach O is just uh, like unbeatable. I mean, he did it at USC, he did it at LSU, and that's how at LSU he ended up getting the head job, mm-hmm. is because he's just for whatever reason, whenever people are like down and out, he does a fantastic job of motivating the kids and bringing them back. So it's not necessarily a sustainable model, but for that uh, little bit of time, interim coach O is uh, pretty tough to beat. You know, it, it's crazy. I see this sometimes at the high school level of like there are coaches who do really well when the team is supposed to be an underdog and they do really well of getting them up to that level. But then once they're at the top, they, they can't sustain it. And I don't know why. I don't know what that answer is. But like, I just feel like he was one of those coaches where if you're the underdog, you love to play for him. But like, if you're already at the top, like, I don't know, like, is there something missing? Well, and I mean, there's also the old adage that it's a lot easier to, to win the championship than to stay the champion. Right. right. It's uh, easier to win the belt than to defend the belt. And right. I think part of that is just, I mean, you've reached the top, like, where do you go from there? Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot harder to keep that fire when you've already, when you've already won it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that could be part of the problem. I mean, guys like uh, Saban and, and Dabo who stayed at the top for, you know, multiple years, it's, it's, it's different. And we'll see. I think we'll see with Georgia, you know, if, if Kirby's able now that they've won the big one to kind of keep that fire lit under the guys. But yeah. uh, it's just uh, interesting storylines to go through. But like you said, man, I mean, Coach O – Getting uh, fired kind of kicked off what was a a wild, wild season in uh, coaching changes, huh? Yeah, so since we're on the subject of coaching changes, let's we're going to go through the coaching carousel. We're going to go through all the, the new hires for the Power Five. And what better way to start than with Coach O's replacement, Mr. Brian Kelly. He's going down to bring his family. Family. To Baton Rouge. <laughs> Um, so I think I'm an outlier here, but I love this hire. I don't like the whole, well, he's not going to fit. Why? Because he, you know, doesn't live on a swamp and he doesn't eat gumbo. Like he can coach football. I mean, Saban was at, at Michigan state before he went down to LSU. Like Mm -hmm. the cultural fit thing is a little bit overblown. Uh, I'm playing that up just because I don't want him to be successful because I want A&M to, you know, have one less obstacle in the sec West. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I mean, it's, he's been a successful coach everywhere he's been. And that's included Notre Dame who, I mean, before he got to Notre Dame, there was a lot of struggling going on in that program. Uh, You know, it's, a, a program that hadn't really seen much success since the, since the eighties. Right. Like it, it was Early the heyday. 90s, of, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it, it's like, y- you look at what Kelly's done and you know, it, it's, as much as you'd like to say, yeah, he's not a cultural fit. 
I think that's overblown. And mm-hmm. he's doing a good job of bringing in assistant coaches and recruiters too, who are cultural fits who can kind of make up in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, he's been successful. I don't, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be successful at LSU other than the fact that it's just such a competitive league. Mm-hmm. No, no, exactly. I mean, and I like to think of it like this, um, you know, when you're at Notre Dame, um, and again, this this isn't knocking LSU, but when you're at Notre Dame, there is a different academic standard when you're at Notre Dame. I think there are a lot more hoops they have to jump through to um, be a student athlete. Um, and also Notre Dame, even though it's it has a lot of money being poured into it, I don't think the resor- football resources were up to par as half of the SEC. So at LSU, Brian Kelly is going to get resources he's probably never had before. He probably doesn't have to have that big of an academic um, standard at LSU like he had at Notre Dame. And that's not saying LSU's academic standard's bad, but I'm just saying I think Notre Dame's academic standard is like just that. It, it's Notre Dame as, as the private school definitely has a little bit higher standard. Yeah, exactly. But I just think Brian Kelly now, it's like, the there are no limitations whatever brian kelly wants brian kelly is going to get brian kelly can say i want an indoor pool in the middle of the locker room and lsu will give it to him <laughs> they may not have the money but they will find a uh, find a way to finance it <laughs> oh my god absolutely i i think this is a, i think this is a home run hire yeah um i know notre dame's ticked off um obviously i mean i would be too um but listen brian kelly they've hit unfortunately I think Notre Dame has hit their ceiling. They are a potential playoff team, but I don't think they'll ever have the horses to actually win. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's one of those deals where if they get lucky with a, a, a quarterback who's mm-hmm. generational, right? Yeah. It, it's something that can elevate anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but short of that, yeah, I think uh, you're not going to see them be a team who who gets by without that one generational player. Exactly. No, it's just it's just not going to happen. You know, and I, honestly, I can say the same thing about. I can say something, pretty much like Michigan, Penn State, yeah. like the, those teams could make the playoff, but I mean, I it's, I it's, don't see them winning unless they catch unless they absolutely upset someone. It's it's Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, and Ohio State, and then oh, yeah. I think we'll get into Clemson a little bit later. But oh, we will. Uh, yeah, but so coaching changes still. There's there's a lot to talk about. I think one of the more entertaining storylines, you talked about Brian Kelly. Uh, we talked about Brian Kelly first. One of the more entertaining ones, I think, has to be Lincoln Riley, right? I mean, <laughs> man, he went full heel. I, he went so, full Hulk Hogan coming down was, the ramp to leg drop Macho Man Randy Savage. It's like I – Never in a million years saw this coming. Uh, and I have enough people that I follow on Oklahoma Twitter mm-hmm. where it's like the, uh, the what is it? They call him the, the bastard out west or whatever now <laughs> that, that, that Lincoln Riley's nickname has become from the, uh, the OU faithful. There was the oh, whole storyline of the, the guy had, trying to get his smokers back. I mean, it was just, it was it such all- a shocking move. It all started with that terrible barbecue, or that. that it really did. Party. It was the brisket. The brisket, and oh, it just went down from there. But yeah, like, first of all, he gets a lot from California, so this is a perfect fit. 
Like oh, yeah. how how people were saying, like, you know, what we were talking about, you know, Brian Kelly, he may not be an LSU fit. Lincoln Riley fits at USC. And they were recruiting so many players from uh from California to Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Uh so it like I mean, it's why you saw so many transfers, right? Yeah, you know, whenever he's that big of a factor. Uh but it's I still like I mean, I couldn't believe it whenever uh whatever Riley made that decision. It was because I, I you know, Stoops had been there for forever and it seemed like he had handpicked his replacement. Uh honestly, you know, a situation I don't think it's too dissimilar from is uh Jimbo Fisher leaving Florida State for for A and M, where it's just a deal where a guy is a hand picked successor for a long from a longtime coach mm-hmm. and kinda turns his back on that yeah. situation to, to go to greener pastures. I, I think there, there are some definitely some differences, but I think the Lincoln Riley one's worse. Yeah. Because well, like it, it, it's they, worse because he was still at, he was still in a good situation. Yeah. Like Florida state with Jimbo, Florida that state, relationship had grown stale. Like yeah, it, there was definitely and, some dissatisfaction with, right. with both sides of it. And like the play, players were getting kicked out of games, and like, I don't. It was just bad body language. Like the the Florida State's getting blown out by teams. Like, so there was like it was starting to cut. It was starting to unravel. You know, actually kind of similar to um, Coach O with without the off the field stuff. It was kind of similar to like Coach O. Like you have this one yeah. magical season, and then things start unwinding. But like Oklahoma was still in a good place, and Oklahoma is one of those teams that could win a national title. I think. Obviously, there's the 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 chirp that Lincoln Riley was scared of the SEC, which I'm not buying. No. Now, does USC have a much easier path to the playoff uh, than OU will going into the SEC? Absolutely, but Absolutely. I don't think that was the biggest motivating factor. Uh, having been out to Huntington Beach last week, uh, I can tell you that the weather is fantastic out there. Uh, in Southern California, and uh, you know, being able to have your windows down year-round is kind of nice. So I can't blame him if that was one of the factors. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, Southern California. I mean, it's you know, you talk about recruiting advantages and disadvantage. Oh, every team needs you know, it all. Recruiting event, everything needs to be the same. It's never the same because you know, to recruit to Southern California is a lot easier than recruiting Lincoln, Nebraska anymore. Yep. You know, I'm sorry. I would rather go to USC in that situation. And uh, the fact that there's also just a lot of talent already out there. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, even going down to San Diego, I mean, it's USC is the major program in the area. UCLA had a chance to kind of capitalize while USC was down and never did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that window has closed uh, for UCLA to, to kind of become the, the flagship program in the area. I think USC is going to be right back on top with Lincoln Riley. Yep, I th- yep. I think they go maybe eight nine wins this year, and then they're going to reload. And then next year, we're going to yep. really see them really start to kick off. Um, yep, and then uh, so replacing Lincoln Riley, uh, Clemson defensive coordinator Brent Venables. So, okay, so great DC Oklahoma is hugely optimistic. I mean, of course, after. The guy just left you at the altar. You know you're going to really pump up the next guy. Um, and Venables is a guy who has history with Oklahoma. Yeah, he does, which is it's which is huge. And Oklahoma has a really good, they're a really good institution that's going to back 
their athletics. Um, and I think having that strong leadership is huge. And Oklahoma has that. Um, uh, this, at worst, Oklahoma is a nine-win football team. At worst. And if, if that's your floor, if that's the worst you're going to be is nine wins, I, I, I think you're in a pretty good spot. So I, I like Vernables there. Yeah, I mean, it's not a huge splash hire, uh, but, you know, it's not everybody can make one of those in a given season. And I think it's a safe, a good safe hire uh, mm-hmm. for OU. Honestly, I, I don't know that Venables is going to get the standard that they want at OU, but I don't think he's a bad guy to have in place for the transition to the SEC. No, absolutely not. And, um, I mean, again, you're going to have a defensive mind there. Um, Oklahoma needs – they need that defensive mind. They need it. That's what they've struggled in. They always get the offensive guys, and I think if as long as they keep that up and bring a new fire on that defense, I think they're going to be great. Um, I mean, I think Big 12, they're better than Texas. Uh, I mean, the only team I think they really have to worry about next year is Baylor. Yeah. Baylor's Baylor's going to be really good. Oklahoma State, I mean, they'll probably take a step back, but they should still be good. Um, but no, I, I think Oklahoma, Oklahoma's going to be back where they want to be nine, 10 win seasons competing for that playoff spot. Yep. Let's see. You know what, Jay? We're going to go, let's go back to the SEC. Let's go back to the SEC. Billy Napier going yep. to Florida. So, <laughs> Dan Jay. Mullen, man, <laughs> <laughs> that was a weird deal. Because you talk about a quick fall from grace, too. I mean, he goes from the uh, going playing in a New Year's Six Bowl, and then the next season he's out of there. I know, and like that's so. I don't know. I just think I've said this before. You can be you can be a jackass and win games. You can't be a jackass and lose games. Yeah. And Dan Mullen was acting like a jackass. And you certainly and can't be a jackass, games. lose games, and not recruit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't care about recruiting, man. You got to recruit all the time. Every day is recruiting. And, like, yep. not just them going to getting to the New Year's Six Bowl. I think it started when – I mean, granted, they had a lot of – they had some guys opt out. When he but, said that we lost because we had our B team, I yeah. honestly believe that was the beginning of the end. Yes, you can't say that. Everyone's thinking it. You don't need to say it. You yeah. just said, "Hey, you know, we had some guys." You know, you don't even have to bring up the guys. Just say, "Hey." I, I well, yeah, like you don't bring it. Up, like we hats off to OU. I mean, they were yeah. the better team tonight. They were the better team, and tonight. that's fine. Oh, they were the better team tonight. All all you're doing by bringing up that you had guys leave and that you say you call the guys that played for you that game a B team. All you're doing is saying that I don't have confidence in those guys. Yep. And that, yep. that's all those players are hearing. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that's why I think it went just completely yep. downhill from there. It's He lost the locker room. No. Lost the locker room. And on top of that, like, what was it? It was it was that season with the shoe incident. And again. <laughs> Marco Wilson. You were one of the most penalized teams in college football. Yeah. That's not a good look on the coach. That's yeah. coaching right there. Like yeah, and then I think like Florida did play Alabama tough early in the season in 2021. Mm-hmm. They did, but once once that game was over, it was just yep. Because like, once once you have that high, and like this is a huge game, and 
you know, we got to win this game, blah, blah, blah. Once you lose that and you have six games left, it's hard to get back up. You can't do that. That's why you have to treat every game like it's like it's the same. And I know how that's very hard to do, but yeah. you got to treat every game like it's like it's the same thing. But but Napier is another one of those hires where I look at it and I think that's going to be uh, a really really good hire for Florida. I know some some folks I think we're talking about Mark Stoops. Uh, I don't I don't think that Stoops is going to bring you enough. Uh, I don't know. I, I just I I like where Stoops is at Kentucky. I don't know that he would have improved much at Florida. No, uh, I, I, I think I think either. Napier was the best hire that Florida could have made in that situation. Yeah. Uh, me as well. I mean, I just don't think Stoops at Kentucky, I think, is is a perfect fit. I think if you go down to Florida and you try and bring that ground and pound style football down there, I don't think it works. I think it works with Kentucky because you can build around your offensive line. You can do all that stuff and you can win eight, nine games and everyone loves it because Kentucky yeah. football isn't big. If you keep winning eight, nine games at Florida, yeah, it'll be good to start, but people are going to get sick of it because you're Florida. Well, I mean, I talk about it. Kentucky is basically SEC Iowa right now under Stoops. I mean, it's it's they recruit they and they recruit Ohio well as part of it, mm-hmm. uh, being right there on the border. Uh, they Stoops is an old Iowa guy. I mean, it's he had to do something different because I mean the way the SEC is right now, it's just not a, uh, you know, it, it. He wasn't gonna get what he needed uh, to win the SEC or win in the SEC the way that other schools were. So I mean, Kentucky is just a tough, tough football team. They grind out a lot of games, make it ugly to watch, but uh, it, it, it's Stoops has found success there, but. Uh, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what Napier does. Uh, I like I'm, it. I mean, Napier, 40-16 and 16 as the coach at Louisiana Lafayette, um, defeated Iowa State. Um, I think this is a great hire. This guy knows the South. He's recruited the South very well. He's gotten players under the radar to go to ULL. So I, I think this is I think this is a fantastic hire by Florida, and hopefully it works. Hopefully yeah. it works. Um. <laughs> We're going to move on to this ACC, and we're going to start off with not necessarily a big name, but this has some roots uh, to you, uh, Jay Arnold. Uh, Mike Elko, uh, Texas A&M defensive coordinator last year, uh, was stellar with that defensive line, created a great rushing defense and fantastic pass rush. And again, at Duke, you just can't be terrible. Right. You just can't be bad. Um, you can get away with being six and six, and I think at least this will give Duke an identity. Yep. And I mean, you you look at where Elko has been before this too, and uh, you know, prior to A and M, he was at Notre Dame, mm-hmm. and prior to Notre Dame, I believe he was at Wake Forest. So it's it's two private schools that he was at before. He has that private school experience. Duke obviously is another one of those schools that's going to have different academic standards. Uh, I think that's part of the reason that he appealed to Duke so much. Uh, and I will see how he does out there. I mean, I, I personally think that he was the most talented coach on that staff at a and uh, I mean, the defenses that he put together. And granted, they uh, they recruited the defensive side of the ball pretty well. And, I mean, you, you had 
some some really good guys that are going to be playing on Sundays uh, in in years to come. But yeah, I think I think Elko was a big loss for A and M, and I think he's going to do really well at Duke. Yeah, I mean, I hope he does. I I always root for Duke out of the ACC. Um, kind of like you said, higher academic standard. They're usually never good. Um, I, I liked Cutcliffe when he was there. Um, although you guys, you beat you you personally beat. Cutcliffe. Yeah, I was gonna say I I uh, I have a soft spot in my heart for Duke. For uh, that was my my first start was that Chick Fil A Bowl in 2013. Yeah. So thank you to any Duke fans <laughs> who may be listening. Um, but no, I mean uh, again at Duke. If you can win six games every year at Duke, you're going to keep your job. Yep. And I think at least with a defensive-minded guy and being able to recruit, um, you know, at least give them an identity, at least that'll be okay. Because I think Duke has no identity right now. Right. They have no identity. So at least they'll have something to build off. And it's, I mean, theoretically under Cutcliffe, it was good offenses. But, I mean, they just – they weren't really successful in much of anything there at the end. And, and I think, you know, Cutcliffe was ready to move on. It was just kind of a situation where, you know, I mean, and he had some great years while he was there too. That, that Chick fil A Bowl year was a, it was pretty, pretty dang good by, uh, yeah. by Duke standards. They were but, ranked. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Uh, but I guess, uh, sticking with the ACC and, you know, coaches having roots with one of us. I believe a defensive coordinator from Penn State ended up at uh, Virginia Tech. Yeah. Um, again, I I don't know how Brent Pry is going to do at Virginia Tech, but I can tell you this: Brent Pry is one of the best humans I have ever met in the coaching industry. Um, guys love to play for him, um, and he recruits Virginia really well and i think that was a key in him going to virginia tech he has always recruited virginia very well um the only gripe that some penn state fans had with pry was that on defense he they didn't feel like he was aggressive enough um you know didn't didn't send some people penn state kind of got burned a few times on third and longs because of it um but again that's just a nitpick he is a fantastic leader He's a great recruiter. Uh, Penn State's going to miss him dearly in the recruiting department. Um, but I think Virginia Tech has a guy in there that um, is going to be stable, at least. Um, I don't know if it's going to pan out, um, but hey, in two or three years, if you want to go somewhere else or, or if they're going to go in another direction, fine. Uh, but at least, again, while he's there, it's at least going to be a stable thing. It's not going to be a complete dumpster fire. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, like, I thought Fuente was going to be successful at Virginia Tech yeah. uh, whenever that hire happened, and, you know, it just never came together. But obviously Virginia Tech had to go in a different direction. Things weren't working out. Uh, I like Pry a lot as a coach, uh, echoing some of the things that you said. Uh, his defenses at Penn State were very talented. Uh, very similar to Elko in that aspect where it's a, a defensive guy going into a, yeah. a, a situation where it was an uh, offensive minded coach beforehand mm -hmm. uh we'll see how he does obviously the acc is maybe one of the weaker of the power five conferences uh you know i, th I think the pac-12 was probably still the bottom of the barrel but uh mm -hmm. the the acc big 12 i think are right there together and then sec and big 10 are going to be the top two 
Uh, but I, I think, uh, you know, if, if he can recruit Virginia well, there is a lot of talent right there. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see because I think Virginia Tech is uh, a night game at uh, Lane Stadium with Inner Sandman on the on the speakers whenever that crowd gets going. If it's a, a good Virginia Tech team, that's mm-hmm. something that's fun in college football. And wow. I, I kind of hope to see pride bring that back. Uh, it's one of the best. It is one of the best atmospheres in college football. And sadly, I haven't experienced that yet, but I'm hoping hoping to one day here enter Sandman at night at Lane. Um, one of probably one of the grand slam hires. Uh, it was a little bit surprising um, because he had something good going in Oregon. But Mario Cristobal, man, yep. going back to the U. Manny Diaz underachieved again. Wasn't terrible. At Miami, but was just just underachieved. You know, seven win season, <laughs> eight win season, and Cristobal's coming into a good situation. It you know he's not coming into a five alarm fire. Um, there are some things he has to shape up, but I just think this is a fantastic hire. They're getting nil deals out. Um, Miami is in good shape going forward right now. Yep. Uh, I mean, this was kind of a weird deal because it was like. There was a there was a waiting period with like Manny Diaz where are they going to fire him or not? Mm-hmm. And it was kind of in limbo there for a while. I mean that was kind of a a weird deal, but I, I definitely think Cristobal is a great fit down there. Uh, he, he's going to do some great things for Miami. I hope not this year because A and M has Miami on the schedule. Uh, I think there will be an adjustment period, but uh, you know it, it's this is one of those where it's a, a cultural fit. Uh, and I, I tell you what, Jake, I'm kind of surprised that Oregon hasn't been able to hold on to a coach. I mean, out there in the Pac-12, they're one of the few Pac-12 schools that that really, really commit to football. You know, I think Phil Knight is, is pouring a lot of money into that program, obviously. Uh, you, you would think that, I mean, with NIL, too, uh, that there would be a lot of incentives to stay at Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I'm like you where I get that, you know, Mario Cristobal considers South Florida home, mm-hmm. but it, it's still kind of shocking that, that Oregon hasn't been able to hold on to coaches. I mean, you look back to Willie Taggart, right? Like it, it's, yeah, it's interesting to see uh, a program that I think is in good shape in the, in the PAC 12 uh, struggle with this. Yeah. It's again, it's Oregon and USC are the two flagship schools out of, um, the Pac-12. Um, you know, you, you listen. Utah's really good right now, and Utah's a good program, but th- they're not a flagship program for that Pac-12. It's Oregon and it's USC, and it's just crazy that we're in a time in college football where, in the same year, we saw a coach leave Notre Dame and Oregon, where they both could have stayed to go and to Oklahoma. Yeah, and Oklahoma, right, <laughs> to go to other programs. Yeah. Like, again, three huge schools. You know, Notre Dame and Oklahoma are uh, blue bloods. and then As blue blood as blue blood gets. Yeah, as yeah. blue blood as blue blood gets. And you have Oregon, that who is, isn't really a blue blood, but, like, they're close to it. Yeah. And you have all the, these coaches leaving. And, you know, it's all for different reasons. But I, I think Cristobal knows – at Miami, he's going to get the backing because he's a Miami guy. And also, he's going to get 
that NIL. But again, like you were talking, like, doesn't he have that at Oregon? I mean, is yeah. he going to have more money in Miami than he did up at Oregon? Well, like, from what I've heard, the, the Miami money is coming in from uh, their, their health center program because of all the pandemic stuff. So, you know, Miami's getting that uh, that hospital boost. It used to be cocaine and and uh, real estate fraud in the '80s. Now they've moved on to to health insurance money. <laughs> it's funny you say like like scams and stuff because like I a couple I think a couple days ago there was a big Miami booster got in trouble. Did you hear about this? Was it uh, Shapiro again? No, it wasn't Shapiro. It was someone else. <laughs> and he got. No, he's in probably trouble. not allowed the program anymore. Yeah. He got in trouble. <laughs> something with his stocks or something like that and like he's being indicted like by the federal government so like could you imagine being like if you're getting your nil deal from this guy and uh your checks start bouncing Dude, that's such a college football thing though i mean that that is, is. like the the shady bagman character like that that is that to a t it's great it's it's again it's the absolute best and the absolute worst of like college football. And oh man. I'm trying to look uh Miami booster here. I'm trying to bring this up. Trying to find out who it was. <laughs> trying to find out who it was. Uh let's see. John Ruiz. And John Ruiz insists he's followed all NCAA rules. Well, we're going to find out, John. We I think the Miami out. had the they they had the American top team deal too, right? With yes, uh, they do. They have the with American, Dan Lambert. Which is good. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Like I am 100 fine with that. Hey, you get sixty thousand dollars for a salary for being a Miami football scholarship player. Hey, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. Um, Miami mega booster calls out Nick Saban under investigation. Yeah. Uh, here we go. Last week, Miami Mega Booster, John Ruiz's company, MSP Re- Recovery, went public. Its share price has already dropped by 86%. And now a law for, oh, that's, um, oh, what's that called? Um, lying lying to constituents? What's Jesus. the, is that what it's called? It's something like that. I, I'm not a lawyer. I just like <laughs> Now, a law firm has investigated whether MSP and certain of its officers and or directors have violated federal security laws. Oh, that's wonderful. So, looks like John Reese's money is going to be on the back burner for a little bit. Uh, it would appear so. <laughs> um, so, let's go to Oregon. Uh, Dan Lannings. Dan Lanning. Um, I've said this before uh, with a couple of these programs because, again, Coaches are leaving good situations. Oregon's in a good place. Yeah. So if there is a big dip in Oregon right now, in the next two years, I think Landings is gone. I think he's going to have a short leash. Yeah. Uh, because I, I also think that Oregon was looking for somebody who uh, wasn't necessarily going to be a huge target to take away. Oh, yeah. He's, like, young, too. He's, like, only, like, 36 years old. And he's, I mean, he was, he played at William Jewell in college. So it's not Mm -hmm. like he has a tie to one of these bigger programs. Uh, It's, I'd like to hire. I think it's good to get like a a good young mind in there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's going to be a good fit for Oregon. uh, If everything works out recruiting wise, Uh, that's, that's the only kind of question I have there. Just not having any kind of ties to the area. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm I'm not sure how that'll work out, but. 
it's I don't hate this hire. Yeah, same. I, I don't I don't hate it. Um, again, good young guy, energy guy. Um, it's a good situation right now. He doesn't have to really rebuild anything. Um, but that saying, if the next two years aren't good, he's going to get fired. Yeah, and then he'll go and be a coordinator somewhere again. But he's but like you said, he's not going to be poached by anyone for a while. So it's I. I definitely see what Oregon is doing there, and uh, I think they have something to build around. Uh, I think one of the more interesting coaching changes, sticking with the Pacific Northwest, uh, is Washington uh, with uh, Kalen DeBoer uh, coming in to that program after what was a disastrous uh, tenure for uh, Jimmy Lake following in Chris Peterson's footsteps. What the hell happened? Like, Washington was... They were the Pac-12 team. I mean, it was yep. USC and Washington for a couple, a good couple years. And then it just fell apart. Oh, well, you know, Peterson retires. Jimmy Lake takes over, which seemed like it was okay. And then it just all fell apart. Um, I, yeah, thought, I, I mean, really thought Jimmy Lake was going to do well. Um, so, now, so, some of the talk was there was a little bit of, I think, maybe arrogance uh, mm-hmm. from Washington going in and recruiting. Uh, in state, which was part of the problem, but mm-hmm. I mean, there was also some stuff on the field at Washington that wasn't great. So, <laughs> well, you had John Donovan as your offensive coordinator. That's never good. You can't have John Donovan <laughs> as an offensive coordinator. It can't happen. It's a lot like uh, Florida having Todd Grantham as their defensive coordinator. Oh man, um, John Donovan. It everywhere he goes, the offense is terrible. Like. <laughs> It's awful. Like the first two years, he was at like he was at Penn State with with Franklin. Granted, those were sanctioned teams. They're upper. I mean, they had guys from Altoona, uh, you know, playing special teams. But <laughs> you, you can't like those offenses were just so stagnant. Um, it's I don't know. I just don't get the John. I don't get why. And I'm sure he's a great guy, but he's just a bad OC. And he didn't he didn't make it. Uh, through the year he was fired and then Jimmy Lake gets his at the end. So I don't know what we were saying before where guys are going into good situations. This is this not a good situation. Good situation. This no. is a bad one. Uh, you know, DeVore's got to, you know, really clean this up. Um, but I mean, before he's won three national titles at the NAIA level. Um, he was at Fresno, which was good. I think Fresno might, you know, uh, Fresno State, I think, is going to miss him, but I'm just not sure how this is going to go. This might be too big of a mess for him to clean up. Yeah, uh, with a guy that you know doesn't have too much head coaching experience at the Division One football level, uh, this this seems like it's going to be a very long project to rebuild. I mean, they basically undid all of the progress that Chris Peterson had made. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, there were some rough years for for Washington pre. Uh, Pre-Peterson, I mean, even like before Sarkeesian was there, there was, uh, I mean, years when Washington was going like 1-11. and 11. The uh, rotten ass, I still remember, <laughs> I still remember, I was walking, uh, it was the last week of, uh, it was rivalry week in college. Rivalry football, week, yeah. And there is a visitor center outside of uh, Beaver Stadium in Penn State that we would go to, like, you know, use the bathroom. There's like little shops in there and stuff. And they would have this big room. Um, it was almost like a big lecture hall, 
and they would have on the big screen, they'd have like a game and going in, it was going into the apple cup and it was called the rotten apple cup because both teams, Washington and Washington state had one win. And I still remember that I had to be, it had to be like 2006 or seven or something like that. Yeah. One, yeah, one of those years. A while. Uh, but I mean, it's, we'll see what happens here. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't think that, Washington is going to be competing with Oregon anytime soon uh, just because of this project. I mean, I, I hope to be successful there, but uh, it, it, that's just a very tough situation that he's walked into now. And I think, you know, Dickert, who also had kind of a, a very weird situation at Washington State with Rolovich mm-hmm. and all, all the stuff that went down up there, uh, actually looked pretty good there at the end of the season uh, mm-hmm. coaching for Washington State. And yeah. so your in-state rival is – you know, in a better situation in my mind. And yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what DeBoer does. Make a bowl game. Yeah. Just I think make that's a bowl it. Game. Yeah. Make a bowl game and then, and then go from there. Um, we're going to flip flop back to the East coast with Tony Elliott, uh, two time national championship with Clemson as an OOC longtime assistant. He was one of those guys who's an assistant. Uh, Brett Pry used to say this too. He wasn't going to leave just to leave. He wanted to leave in a good situation. Um, you know, Bracco Mendehall, uh, they kind of parts ways with Virginia. Um, again, not a terrible situation. Not a great one, but not a bad one. Um, Tony Elliott uh, going to come in. Bring that offensive, that offensive mind there. Listen, UVA is absolutely beautiful. It's a beautiful campus. Um, I think it's it's a little too preppy for me for my take. Um, I've been it's a down public there ivy, right? Yeah, I don't. I'm not a huge fan of uh, the, the frats down in Virginia that UVA. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think this is a good hire. We'll see. Long time assistant. He's finally getting it. He's going to put everything into it. I don't think it's a bad situation. Virginia, eight wins. That's a team that wants – if they can get consistently to seven, eight wins every year, especially hitting that eight mark, maybe a nine win here and there, I think Tony Elliott's going to be a guy who can do that. Uh, I don't think they're going to be competing for ACC championships, but at least be competitive, at least get to a decent bowl game every year. Yeah, Virginia is not a, a team that has any kind of rich football history. Uh you know they've had some success in basketball, had some success in baseball, but they're they're historically on the football field. That's not been Virginia's strong point. Virginia Tech uh, is generally the better school on the football field, uh, and I think they made the better hire as well with this. I I think it's interesting to see, you know, Tony Elliott go within the conference to Virginia, right? Like you're leaving Clemson going to Virginia. I think, you know, it, it was a situation where the Clemson offense last year was not good. It wasn't. Uh, DJU seemed to take a huge step back mm-hmm. uh, from from a lot of preseason hype. So that that was, you know, an interesting situation out there, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was kind of an, uh, a deal where both parties maybe wanted to change in Clemson. Uh, but, you know, I don't think it's a horrible hire for Virginia. We'll see. I was just honestly more surprised to see Bronco Mendenhall step down than oh, yeah. anything. Yeah. No, that's 
and again, that's a guy I've always, I've always liked, even though I usually root, root against Virginia. Um, I always liked Rocco Mendenhall. I always liked him. Um, I don't know. I don't know how this, I don't know how this hire is going to go. Um, I, I think it's going to be very interesting though, to see, um, when they play for the Commonwealth Trophy, Virginia versus Virginia Tech, you're going to have defensive-minded Brent Pry, and the and that you know tough, uh, hard-nosed Virginia Tech um, defense. Hopefully, that he gets there against a Virginia offense led by Tony Elliott. So I think it's I, I think it's gonna it's gonna be interesting. For sure. Uh, so I guess circling back to the Big Twelve. Uh, one of the longest tenured coaches uh, and Gary Patterson at TCU finally uh, has moved on from that program. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, TCU decided to make the change uh, and Patterson of course took a analyst role with Texas, uh, which that's going to be interesting, but that's another story. Uh, Sonny Dykes, SMU staying within the DFW Metroplex uh, going from you know, the uh, American Conference to mm-hmm. to Big 12 uh, to be the head man at TCU. Uh, yep. So we'll see. This is one where I think it's an easy transition. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're basically recruiting the same area. I personally prefer Fort Worth to Dallas. Uh, but it, it's, you know, you're getting basically the same kind of recruits. But TCU being in the, in the Big 12, a Power 5 conference, mm-hmm. has access to a higher level of recruit. Uh, it's still, I mean, you're going to be at best third fiddle in the state, uh, with A&M and Texas, both recruiting at a higher level than, than most of the other schools. Uh, and then obviously with Baylor doing what Baylor's doing right now, I mean, you walk into a program and it's probably the fourth best program in the state. Uh, you know, it's it's, not a bad program. It's not a bad, and yeah, I don't want to, I mean, and that's like, you know, there, there are states where there are a plethora of good programs. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, if you're like in a, in a place like Florida where you have Florida, Florida State, and Miami, mm-hmm. uh, that it's it can be tough to, to be a successful coach there. Uh, but, I mean, we've seen UCF come through the rankings pretty, pretty mm-hmm. impressively lately. So yeah. I think TCU, that's kind of the model they have to look at, look at what Baylor's doing right now. Uh, and I think Sonny Dykes and his offensive prowess is uh, is a great step in the right direction. Obviously, it's another change of philosophy. Gary Patterson is the the defensive guru. Uh, Dykes is on the exact opposite side of the spectrum, being an offensive guy. Uh, I, I think it'll be a good change. Uh, we'll see what he does, you know, w- with the guys they have in place there. I think it could be a couple years before they get to uh, get the offense to to what he would like it to be. But uh, this is this is a hire that I really liked for TCU. Yeah, Sam. I mean, Sonny Dykes. That offense in the Big Twelve just makes sense. It just makes sense. Um, we've been saying it, you know, watching him at SMU and at Louisiana Tech. That hey, like this is high powered. This is like what you see in the Big Twelve. Um, I don't know if TCU is going to ever play defense again. <laughs> um, but at least offensively, they're they're gonna they're gonna be in shootouts with teams, and that's that's yeah. gonna. It's going to be exciting, to yeah, say the least. I'm, it's going to be exciting. Um, I, mean, I don't. I like wholeheartedly how, support it. <laughs> yeah, I don't like how TCU, um, kind of told uh, Gary Patterson in the middle of the season, "Hey, we're like we're going to let you go. Like, you, you want to finish out the rest of the season?" And Gary Patterson's like, uh, "No, if you're letting me go, I'm going now." Yeah. So, 
Um, I don't know. I I liked. I really like TCU. Um, I always pull for him. I I don't know. I don't know if I can get over uh, how they did Gary Patterson in the middle of the year, but I will not root for Texas. I will. I refuse to do that. Hey, we have that in common. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is one thing we do. Um, hey, let's stick with Texas. Um, Joey McGuire, Texas Tech. Um, so the firing of Matt Wells is very strange to me. Yeah. Um, he, they were five and two. They lost a heartbreaker to Kansas state. Hey, who's a good football team. Yeah. And then they fire him. Now, did they just look at the rest of the schedule because they had to play Oklahoma, Oklahoma state, Iowa state Baylor and say, he's not winning any of those games. We're firing this dude right now before we have to later um i mean they had to have done that because at five and two you're like oh okay hey he's doing better than last year things are looking good you know maybe wells has got maybe wells has got to figure it out like no you're not competing for a big 12 championship (laughs) you're out sonny yeah and this i think recruiting has a lot to do with this one Mm -hmm. especially when you look at who they replaced him with uh, I, Wells was not recruiting well at all uh, for Texas Tech, and and Tech is, you know, the the Panhandle of Texas is not the most uh, scenic or advanced part of the state. Uh, I I don't know how familiar you are with with Texas geography, but no. Lubbock is, other than Texas Tech, probably most known for cattle and dust storms. It's uh, the it's the little it's it's the little part of Texas that that it. Is Juts up into Oklahoma, up, basically. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's pretty much it's pretty much Oklahoma. And, and you got to understand, like it's the nearest major city is going to be Fort Worth at five hours away. So it's not like College Station, where yes, it's a little bit out in the sticks, but you're an hour and a half from Houston, three hours from Dallas, and two hours from Austin, or Texas, which is in Austin, or even Baylor, which is in Waco. I mean, you're still close to those major cities. Texas Tech is out there kind of on an island. Uh, it, it's not necessarily the easiest selling point uh, for athletes to get out there, which is part of why it was so impressive what Mike Leach was able to do out there mm-hmm. uh, for so long. But in Joey McGuire, they have a guy who is super, super ingrained in the Texas high school football uh, coaches I mean, it's it's very similar to like Jeff Trailer is at UTSA, where mm-hmm. he knows all these coaches. He's coached against them in the past. Uh, he has those relationships already uh, built in, which will, I mean, Texas high school head football coaches love having their ego stroked, and uh, and and Joey McGuire is going to to be one of those guys that knows all the buttons that tick, mm-hmm. uh, and and should be able to to make those inroads to recruit a lot better at Texas mm-hmm. Tech. Now, I think it'll depend on his assistance as well to, to capitalize on it. But if they're if Texas Tech was looking at Matt Wells at five and two and saying, All right, he's winning, but we're we're not doing anything in the recruiting to to give us confidence that uh we can be better than a six and six team, mm-hmm. I, I get why they made this move in particular to get a Texas high school uh head coach mm-hmm. formerly into the Texas Tech uh, head football coach position. Yeah. So, I mean, something that can definitely change the way the, the, the recruiting fortunes of Texas Tech. Oh, yeah. Um, 
I mean, and he was a he was a hell of a high school coach. Do you know his record as a high school coach? I mean, I know that Cedar Hill won a lot of games when he was. It's there. a lot. So one forty one and forty one. Yeah, that is Sound. a dynasty. Yeah, Cedar Texas. Hill is one of those programs. that was like Allen and Highland Park, South Lake. They're they're one of those programs. Desoto that's like just always in the Texas high school playoffs, mm-hmm. making noise. Uh, while he was there and I mean he did a great job of recruiting while he was at Baylor too so he's he's still been recruiting Texas uh, since he made the move from Cedar Hill uh, high school up to the college football ranks and I mean I I talked to some of the coaches in the area and it's like he's just a guy that's well respected in the state Mm -hmm. and that is going to make you so many inroads for recruiting that I mean, again, it's it's why UTSA and, and Jeff Trailer have been so successful. It's it's just kind of a natural fit where if a guy is well-respected by the Texas high school football coaches, he's going to get good recruits from the state of Texas. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, hopefully – I mean, that, that's the thing. Maybe that's why Texas Tech fans are so insane is that there's nothing else in, in to do in that <laughs> part of Texas that they just latch on the Texas Tech. Um because, like, all Texas football fans are nuts. But, like, I feel like Texas Tech fans all, are always the ones that take it to another level. They, they're they interesting people. I don't want to bash them too much. I'll be out in Lubbock next week, actually, uh, on the on the barbecue tour. But uh, the the throwing tortillas is, is definitely an interesting practice that Texas Tech participates in. And I think kind of sums up that fan base in a lot of ways. It doesn't really make a lot of sense, but it, it can be very entertaining. Hey. I mean, you got to love it. And while we're at it, hashtag CJK5H. <laughs> they really did. Uh, they really did love that. <laughs> um, uh, moving on, staying in the Big 12. Uh, again, not a huge splash hire, but Lance Leopold, new coach at Kansas. Uh, this guy, Lance Leopold, led a Division three dynasty. I, I, I honestly didn't know this until I was – researching him recently he was the coach behind wisconsin whitewater and if you're i didn't not know fa- that either yeah if you're not familiar um division three football there are a few big time schools in division three football it's mountain union in ohio mary Hardin baylor in texas and wisconsin whitewater wisconsin whitewater has i think i think they won three national titles um and again think about it you're division three in wisconsin um, and I know they have a good Division Three, uh, you know, conference up there. But Wisconsin Whitewater, um, you know, mixing it up with Ohio Division Threes and Texas Division Threes, um, that's really to say something. Um, listen, Kansas is a mess. The Les Miles thing didn't work out for a couple different reasons that I really don't want to get so into. Leopold right was there last year, right? I believe, yes, I believe, I believe he so was. So 2021 was his first year. Yes. No, 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 uh, no, no, no. He, yeah, last year, he last year he was there. I think they took the tag off him. I think he was injured. Uh, Hang on. Nah, because he was the Buffalo head coach in 2020. Oh, so maybe he Kansas. did come in in 2021. So he he was there last year. Oh. Well, then. <laughs> I, I wanted to stop you before you got too into it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. It's hard to keep track of everything that's going on in college football. If you're going to lose track of a program, it might as well Kansas. be Kansas. All we um, have to know is that they beat Texas. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, <laughs> Lance Leopold, I don't know if this is going to work out. Uh, Kansas is just a revolving door at this point. Yeah. I have no idea. Um, I mean, they, beat, they beat Texas, though. So. They did beat Texas, which that's 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 what matters. Yeah. That is what matters. Um, okay, last coach, Marcus Freeman. Um, there is so – Notre Dame people are going to get mad at me. There is so much hype revolving around Marcus Freeman, and I understand he's a guy that everyone wants to play for, but and, and his players would literally die for him. But there is so much hype surrounding him that it just makes me feel like it's going to fail. I don't it's know. one of those deals where everything seems too perfect, right? Exactly, like, doesn't it? He oh, he seems like a better fit than Brian Kelly. He's he's infinitely more likable than Brian Kelly, which oh, I mean, way more likable than that, Brian. That's, that's not, not that's saying not much. Argument. Brian Kelly's an asshole. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I mean. <laughs> What was it? The he tried to make the the execution joke uh, <laughs> at the beginning of the year. Yeah, I forgot about that. Well. Brian Kelly, you know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Marcus Freeman. You know, I think I agree with you where there's a lot of hype, but I actually think this is going to work out well. I mean, I think Brian Kelly was, you know, I think he was about done with Notre Dame. I think Freeman has a chance to be a little more exciting. Uh, maybe, maybe bring some more, uh, you know, some more eyes back on Notre Dame as as a as a program that you want to watch. I mean, Notre Dame was a lot easier to hate with Brian Kelly in charge. Marcus Freeman, I I actually kind of want to root for him. Exactly. Yeah, me me too. And a, a person who roots against Notre Dame ninety nine percent of the time, I I, I kind of hope Marcus Freeman does really well. Because Brian Kelly left them in the dust, and it would be nice for Notre Dame to kind of, you know, give Brian Kelly a big middle finger and say, "Hey, we don't need you." Yeah, yeah. So couldn't happen to a better guy. Couldn't happen to a better guy. I mean, what what his uh, old assistant coaches were saying how they invited him to a party to uh, to just uh, shovel the snow at his yeah. house. Like, like that's the type of dude. We're talking about, hey, yeah, we have a party. Come on over. And then they shoveled snow for two hours and parked cars. Yeah. Builds character. Terrible. Terrible. Yeah. Um, all right. Before we get into our top five games of 2021, um, there have been a few surprises uh, last season. Um, first, Georgia finally wins the title. They finally do it. And here's, here's the thing that I hope people understand. Georgia was always good. Remember how in the beginning of the episode we talked about we need you need things to kind of go your way even if you have all the pieces. Georgia has had very good teams and has had most of the pieces. But now they finally put it together. Yeah. So it's not this grandiose like, oh, they finally did it, you know, they finally put a good team out. No, no, no. They've always had good teams. It's just they needed multiple, you know, top 5 ranked recruiting classes to finally beat Alabama when it mattered. Yeah, and it was just a matter of time, I think, honestly, with Kirby Smart. Uh, like you said, it's just top top five recruiting class after top five recruiting class, and uh, they were in the playoff and in the SEC championship consistently. Yep. So, I mean, w- with that in mind, uh, I think it was always just a matter of time, and, you know, this was the year that Georgia and Kirby Smart finally put it together, and yep. uh, hats off to them. 
uh, obviously, you know, dominant performances to to get to the playoff. I mean, just destroyed Michigan, and then uh, you know, a, a convincing win over Alabama. Yep, when it, when it mattered. Could you imagine if Georgia would have beat Alabama in the SEC title and then went to the national title and lost? I mean, again, that would have been Georgia. That would have been the biggest Georgia thing going. The the but meme would never have died. No, it would have been it would have it would have lived on forever, forever. Um, you know, in the Big Ten, you have the Michigans really having two good years. I mean, listen, Michigan State's a wild card. So them coming off with a good season like they did, I don't know what's going to happen next year. They lose Kenneth Walker, um, but they're most of their offense is back, most of their defense is back. So I don't know. But Sparty's always weird because Sparty will go and knock off teams. But they'll also like come back with a season and win five, in seven games, and it makes absolutely no sense. So yep. <laughs> that's that's just typical Spartan. Michigan, Harbaugh finally puts it all together, and it's crazy that the year prior in 2020, if Rutgers makes a field goal, he probably's fired. Yep, I mean, and now he's bought himself quite a bit of life, yeah. uh, unless unless next season goes horribly wrong, which I, I don't see that happening. No. Uh, I mean, they just out-physicaled the hell out of Ohio State uh, and left uh, Buckeye Faithful feeling quite confused, which I, I kind of love to see personally. But uh, it, it was one of the more impressive performances of the year was was Michigan just dominating Ohio State uh, during rivalry week. Which, which you called. I did. Which and nobody listened to me. I didn't listen. I, I didn't listen. I didn't listen. Now, it, to be fair, it wasn't just you. I mean, Joe and, and yeah. Kevin and everybody, pretty much everybody else was like, yeah, that's uh, that's not going to happen. Because we've seen it before. We've seen the Michigan hype train get derailed like multiple times. I mean, and it was a snow game, man. That just was, favors the Michigan. Snow game, the snow game, I think. Okay. Are, is everyone... Everyone needs to put on their tinfoil hats right now. I have a, I have a conspiracy here. Okay. <laughs> Let's all put on our tinfoil hats. We have a conspiracy. Okay. So, Ohio State gets a lot of guys from the South. Okay? They get a lot of guys from the South. Michigan gets – they get Michigan. They usually get people from the North. People that – or student athletes that are better in the snow. They know the conditions. Could it be Ohio State, with all of those guys from the South, got a little soft when the snow started coming down? Are you? Are, are we wearing our? We're, we're putting hat? our tinfoil hats on. Yeah, I mean, come on, it's not that crazy. It's I not mean, out of the realm of possibility edge, to at least yeah. give them an edge. I'm not saying that's the reason why I, I won. I mean, you know me, like I always pick teams that play at elevation. Mm-hmm. So like I I read into those weather benefits all the time. Mm-hmm. If I have a team from like a, a great climate where it's you know nice and 70, 80 most of the year, and they go and play in like the swamp, yeah, they're gonna have trouble with the humidity. So yeah. I mean I I hear you. I I actually fully support that theory. I mean again, just to like give them, and it also helps that Michigan was going out for blood. Like they were going out for hey. This is our year. You're not. Well, and there was there was a lot of bad feelings from the game the year previous, uh, whenever it was canceled because of COVID. Right, and they Ohio State, you know, said, "Oh, you guys are ducking us," and 
you guys this and that. And then Harbaugh and Day are going back and forth. Um, Harbaugh has alluded a bunch of times how Ohio State uh, cheats in recruiting. Now we'll we'll never know because you could pretty much do anything you want anymore. It's never going to, it's never going to be tracked. (laughs) Um, But I mean, you have all of the, you have all these things. And I just think Ohio state went in like a, all right, this is business as usual type of game. And I think Michigan was like, no, we're going to kill you today. (laughs) Like like, this is it. This is the day you die. And they did it. But like, and before we move on, that's like the thing with firing coaches that I don't think people understand is that Jim Harbaugh, his years in Michigan, even though they were frustrating times, is at worst an eight-win coach. He has won nine, ten wins every year. Yes, he just got to the Big Ten, and he finally got, he finally got to the Big Ten title, and he won it. But, like, that's why if, if you're there and, yeah, it might be frustrating, keep him. He's he, you're almost there. Why, why get rid of a guy at the first setback and then you turn into Florida State and Tennessee, even though Nebraska, Tennessee, Nebraska, like that's what happens. So like you can't, you can't give up on a guy because oh we're not at the same level as Alabama and Ohio State. Guess what? You're not gonna. So take the good and then you're gonna have a breakout year like Michigan did. If they would have fired Rucker, if they would have fired him after Rutgers, there's there's no way they're getting back there. No. Brady Hoke didn't work out. Okay. He was supposed to be the dude. Brady Hoke, Rich Rod didn't work out. You have a guy there that loves Michigan and is gonna at least give you a competitive team where you're gonna be consistently ranked and you're gonna at least compete for the Big Ten. If he doesn't go back to the NFL. If he doesn't go back to the NFL, which I thought he might, just because yeah. again. Beginning of the episode. See, we're 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 connecting dots from earlier. Okay, Michigan has probably reached their peak. They're probably they're probably never going to win a national title. And I'll say the same thing with Penn State. I don't think Penn State will ever win a national title in my lifetime. I think Texas A and M might, because I think they can get those recruits year in and year out. But I just think it's harder. It's that oil money, baby. Those I was gas say, that oil contributing. Money, that oil tycoon <laughs> with Doug Dimadone. Uh, given with his big white hat, given uh, given players, you know, six figures. Hey man, you gotta do what you gotta do. Oh, as long as it's legal, <laughs> that's all that matters. If it's legal. I don't even um, care if it's legal, but <laughs> um, let's see here. Uh, is the Clemson run over? I don't think so. I think Dabo's gonna make some changes. I think he has kind of realized that uh, he maybe had spoken too harshly about things and uh he, he's gonna be taking advantage of the transfer portal and uh it's not something that he wanted to do previously but to be able to compete at this level i mean you're, you're gonna have to make changes that's one of the things that saban was so good at adapting to all the changes that he's seen Dabo was a little bit slow on the come up uh, as much as i'd like for the clemson run to be over i don't think it is yet i think i think Dabo's gonna be clever enough to to realize he needs to adapt also, um, Clemson won ten games. Yeah, that, that's the other thing that people don't realize. Like, yeah. they were very, very close to being in the ACC championship game. If they had, if they had a better offense, their defense was incredible. Yeah. Um, if they had an offense that was 
a little more than average, they're in the ACC championship again. Yeah, but, it's it's the same curse that uh, you know a, a lot of these Jimbo Fisher A and M teams have had, where the offense you know hasn't been able to live up to what has been a stellar defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and this one was a little bit weird because I thought DJU was a good quarterback. Uh, obviously, that didn't pan out. I don't know if it was the Dr. Pepper commercials or what uh, that, that you know kind of slowed his development. But uh, we'll see maybe with a new offensive coordinator in there, things change a little bit. Uh, obviously, we talked about previously Tony Elliott's on to Virginia. Uh, I think Dabo had to make some changes around the program. Uh, new defensive coordinator as well with Venables going. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens here. Uh, I think if, if they can get some good offensive play, uh, they'll be right back at the top of the ACC. And again, the ACC is is not the strongest of the Power Five conferences. Uh, so it's not going to take much for, for Clemson to be right back up there in the ACC championship again. Yeah. And who's you know who's not going to be back in the ACC championship again? Pitt. Pit. Pit. I, I, I won't go too long. These pit people, let me tell you about these pit people, are, I mean, listen, I understand. Penn State fans are exhausting. We're, 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 it's terrible. But, like, Pitt gets a, a, wins an ACC championship, and now they want to talk about how much better they are as a program than Penn State. You were better for a year. Let's calm down. <laughs> Let's really calm down. And honestly, if you know you threw Penn State versus Pitt, I do have confidence that Penn State would be able to score on their defense. And I know that their offense was really good. But I'm telling you, I'd still take Penn State over Pitt. Well, year. their best receiver is gone, and and their quarterback's gone. So we'll see I if mean, uh... the arrogance. The arrogance of the of these pit people who don't even go to the game. Like, look, they had this this great they had this great ACC championship, and what happened? Or you you look at those games, they're still not selling out Heinz Field, and this is the greatest pit year in twenty some years. And they I still mean, I sell out Heinz. I can't respect any program that doesn't play their games on campus. So, oh, that's oh, next next week, Jay. Next week, <laughs> we'll talk about but yeah, I just got to get that off my chest. That like, like Pitt wants to throw all this shade right now. Like, calm down, calm yourselves down, okay? It, it good for you. Tip of the cap. You won one, Pat or uh, Narduzzi. But come on, it's let's pump the brakes. All right, Penn State's going through a down year. All right, let, let's settle down, Pitt people. All right, um, Group of Five, Cincinnati. So listen, everyone talking about the college football playoff oh that's what happens when you let a group of five team in look at every other one versus four matchup cincinnati did just as good as notre dame did they did better than michigan state did like they did better than michigan did this year yeah they did better than what michigan did against georgia so like so cincinnati held their own okay and if you ever get a team like that you gotta throw them in you know now i think there are intangibles like for example if, if you like, I remember Memphis one year lost a game and, like, right at the end. Like, what if they would have won that game? They would have been undefeated. I don't think their strength of schedule was good enough to be thrown in. I think Cincinnati, you can at least look at them and say, hey, yeah. this team has a shot at least. There was a 
you know, there was a couple of years, I think, that U of H, uh, where Houston was, you know, maybe good enough to get thrown in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, Cincinnati had a resume. Like, they had wins over Notre Dame, right, who right. Was, a, was a good team. Mm-hmm. Uh, we fought I, I Indiana do... once. Yeah, yeah, well, that, that didn't that's turn out so well. Yeah. But uh, That's a whole other story. Uh, but, I mean, I, I do think that you have to have some kind of power five win on the schedule. Uh, the the better that win is, you know, the more likely you are to sneak in. And I mean, you pretty much have to be undefeated as a group of five team to to, to sneak in there. But it, yeah. it's I I think Cincinnati earned that place. And uh, you know, honestly, like I, I can't see anybody else on the on the radar that that could have replaced them and done better. No, so I, absolutely. I, I fully I fully support the. The fact that Cincinnati was in the the college football playoff, and uh, I'm glad they got a chance. Mm-hmm. No, they 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 absolutely deserved it. I mean, they went they the year before that they had a really good year, so it kind of built off that. And I think the group of five teams, not only do they have to do well that year, but I think they also have to kind of build themselves a resume like the year prior. Yeah. Like saying, hey, this is what they were last year. This is how they were this year. Hey, they deserve a chance. Um, it's like a, the UCF back-to-back runs. Like Exactly. It, it's, that's, you kind of have to have like something where you have hype from the previous season. Right. Exactly. Um, and then lastly, before we talk into top games, the new darlings of college football, UTSA, the Roadrunners, Trailers Gang. Now, Jay, you were on the UTSA train before – everyone else was you are a trendsetter i hope you know that yeah i mean well to be fair obviously being in texas yeah. uh there, there's a little bit of knowledge there and i mean since sam mccormick was one of the best running backs going into the season everybody expected him to have a good year and uh he lives up to that hype uh trailer's done great things down there there's obviously a, a great recruiting base uh i think it was it was the year whenever you know illinois beats nebraska to kick off the season and I was like, well, you know, Illinois is going to turn around and lose the UTSA, right? Mm-hmm. And then sure enough, UTSA gets that win. And it's like, well, that's it's it's a solid team. Uh, and, you know, they have a lot of momentum. They'll be moving on to the American Conference, I think, uh, next year. I don't mm-hmm. think this, this season they're still sticking with C, uh, Conference USA. Okay. But which, by the way, that conference is about dead. Uh, that, that's Who's another that? story. Yeah, that's so because uh, like half of them are leaving for the American and like half of them have left for the Sun Belt and are know, gone yeah. this I year. Know Southern Miss left, right? Yeah, uh, and Marshall, I believe. Uh, but yeah, it's UTSA is is a program with a lot of hype around it, and it's again, it's it's a major Texas city, mm-hmm. so it, it's they have a good recruiting base that they can pull from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the Alamo Dome, but. Um, San Antonio is an amazing city. I love underrated, underrated in Texas cities. Oh my God. It's Dallas, Austin and and Houston get a lot of the love. Uh, I think San Antonio deserves to be talked about a little bit more. Granted, San Antonio is the only place I've ever been in Texas, but I love Love San Antonio. Um, Okay. Now our segment today, um, we're going to have a little top five here. So this is how this works. Okay, Uh, so the people who are listening now for the first time, um, we are going to give Jay and I are going to give our top five 
um, for a specific category. Today is top five games from the 2021 season. Okay. Now, what we have, what we'll do after that is we'll get, we'll make our own list, combining our two, and we're gonna pick four teams, or sorry, or four games in this situation, um, to create the playoff. And what the playoff is is we will let you, the viewers, put our rankings head to head. So our what we decide is number one versus number four, and we will release that on Wednesday tomorrow. And then the final on Thursday. Um, so we're going to let you guys, the viewers, the listeners, uh, take your pick and vote on what you think was the top game of 2021. Um, today, later today, uh, if you go on the Get Back Coach on Twitter, you will find my list versus Jay's list in a throwdown. So you get to vote on who do you think had the better list. So, Jay, do you want to start us off? So I figured we'll go back and forth. You give your five, I give my five. And we'll, we'll count down. We'll count down, right. Okay, so my five uh, was the best showcase I could have hoped for for the new overtime rules. And that was Penn State and Illinois. Oh, I hate you so much. Oh, <laughs> don't make me relive this. I had to do this to make you relive this game. Was it nine overtimes? And it was just the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I loved every second of it. Mm. I mean, come on. It's the most overtimes in college football history. Right. And and you you have two teams just fighting tooth and nail, trying to keep the other from scoring. We have this new format. You know, it was very polarizing, which I love. You either loved it or you hated it. And there was quite a bit of hate for this game. But I have it as my number five, mostly because I wanted you to relive the painful memories of Illinois downing Penn State. It was so bad. It was so bad. Like, I've I've left that stadium. So I've left that stadium dejected before. And I think that was the worst. Like, it that was, was the worst. Dejecting and tiring all in it one. Was so bad. And it's just like, Clifford's hurt. And he's, like, just trying to do something out there. That defense, like, here's the thing everyone says about – and I'm, uh, I'm going to ramble. Good. Great. Thanks, Jay. You just – you're making me relive this. Um, you know, I, I, Illinois was putting up one back, you know, one back overload sets where everyone's on the line. And, like, Penn State's defense held them to 10 yards, and they ran for, like, 400. Hey, that's and that classic Bielema offense. It was just like, no, it was just like, hey, we don't want to turn the ball over anymore. And Penn State just refused to win. Like they were up, I think, 10 to 10 3 or 10 7 late in the game. And then Illinois scores to send to overtime. And like, this Penn State's offense was just so bad. Oh, man. That, that's the thing. That defense was so good last year. And it just, the offense was just so bad in parts. Oh, my God. I'm reliving it all over again. Oh, you've on zip. Why don't we why don't we go ahead and get to your uh, number five so we can, we can get rid of the pain? This? All right. Number five. Mine, number five. Purdue, Tennessee in the Music City Bowl. Uh, this is the only bowl game I have on here. Listen, the last five minutes of this game, both offenses going back and forth. Giant touchdowns or, or long touchdowns. Uh, controversial call at the end. Um, fun to watch. Uh Listen, controversial call. 
Couldn't have gone wrong for a better fan base. Uh, love seeing Tennessee in misery. Uh, how do you like that? Like, I just love when Purdue teams were like other conferences make fun of like, oh, yeah, well, you guys have to play Purdue. Yeah, listen, Purdue's pretty good sometimes. And this is one of those years. Couldn't happen to a better fan base. Purdue beats Tennessee in the Music City Bowl, my number five. Sneaky, sneaky Purdue. I, I didn't even think about going to the bowl games. Probably could have found like a, I think the Bahamas Bowl was good this year. I didn't even look a couple at good it. Bowl games. This is the only one though I was like really fired up over. Yeah, and I, I might have a bias towards it. There, there was definitely a bias at play. <laughs> Speaking of biases at play, my SEC bias uh, had me include this one, uh, but I do think it's one of the better games of the year, and that was the Iron Bowl. Uh, between Auburn and Alabama, that's my number four. Uh, so I have, I mean, it's a great contest, a great rivalry game, has everything that you want. Uh, just teams going back and forth, you get to overtime. Uh, there was the potential for an upset. Honestly, if Auburn had pulled off the upset, this game would be even higher on the oh, list. Yeah. But it, it was still just a fantastic game, and you, you really saw some cracks in uh, in Alabama's armor there for a while, and. Uh, you know, it was, it was wild to see, uh, but, uh, Alabama was able to, to hold off and, and, and secure that win to go to the SEC championship. Uh, and it was, uh, a fantastic contest. I, I really enjoyed seeing that go back and forth. Mm-hmm. Iron Bowl is never easy. No matter how bad Auburn is, the Iron Bowl is never easy. And they, never. they took their lumps, but they always... They always play Alabama really well. It's always a game that's always a good one. Um, so my number four, I got Ole Miss versus Arkansas, two teams that were kind of a surprise this year. Um, Arkansas with Sam Pittman, Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin. Um, Pittman elects to go for two, which I believe was the right call in a last-second touchdown. Didn't go for the tie, went for the win, and – uh, just didn't didn't happen. Um, I love the call. You go with the momentum. You didn't want to you didn't want to go up against their offense in overtime. But Ole Miss hangs on to beat Arkansas fifty two fifty one in Oxford. My number four. Ole Miss Arkansas is one of those games. that's like always sneaky good. Like the, there was a year where Arkansas converted at like a fourth and twenty five. Oh, that's right, Dan. Yeah, the like, he like threw it backwards. Yeah. One of the most ridiculous plays I've ever seen in my life. But it's always one of those sneaky good games that I have highlighted. Like, I want to make sure I tune into that one. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's uh, that was a great, great contest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for my number three, I have the Red River Shootout between mm-hmm. Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, this game was, I mean... Anytime there's a huge comeback like this mm-hmm. where Texas is just – I mean, it was basically a blowout in the first half. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought OU was done for and, you know, Texas – it's it's the faded words. I thought Texas was back. Oh, no. Don't but it turns out, it turns out that uh, they were not, in fact, back. Uh, that last touchdown uh, that OU scored to kind of go ahead was just mm-hmm. – one of the wild because they're driving down the field and I'm like, okay, they're gonna run the ball to get to field goal position. We'll yeah. go to overtime, and then he just goes straight down the sideline and scores. Mm-hmm. It's like after all that, and I mean, what a fantastic game! The setting, playing at the Texas State Fair in the Cotton Bowl, 
I mean, it, it's such an awesome game on its own. And then to see that magnitude of comeback, mm-hmm. uh, obviously part of me wanted to include Kansas and Texas on this, on this list. Uh, I decided not to when the Red River shootout. It was a little bit more meaningful, right. uh, but uh, that is my number three pick. All right, um, we're gonna see that one again later on, but not now because for my number three, I got Clemson at NC State. Um, this served two different games. One, it was the Larry coming out party. Listen, everyone thought he was good. Uh, I think this solidified himself with SEC also being a you know, legit contender for the ACC championship. Um, also, it kind of put the, the Clemson dynasty in question. Um, I mean, they've lost ACC games before, but I think this one was one where everyone's like, is Clemson done? Like, yeah, they lost to Georgia, who's very good, but, like, this offense is is terrible. Um, now, that last touch in by Larry was fantastic. Um, it was just a great double overtime win, amazing for college football, and the atmosphere in Raleigh was great. Um, so yeah, I got Clemson at NC State, my number three. Okay, so for my number two, uh, we're actually going to stick with NC State. Different game. I okay. have North Carolina and uh, NC State. Oh, so okay. this was absolutely one of the wildest games I've seen. The finish was incredible. NC State scores two touchdowns in twenty-six seconds to win that game. I mean, they're down in the fourth quarter. Uh, basically, all North Carolina has to do is recover the onside kick. The game's over. NC State gets that onside kick and scores almost immediately. And it's one of the craziest finishes to a game I've ever seen. Uh, a band that I'm a big fan of, American Aquarium, uh, BJ Barham, who is the, the lead singer of American Aquarium, postponed his concert start time to watch the end of that game. And it was one of my favorite things, just kind of watching it like third person, seeing him post about it and being like, well, folks, he's playing this show in Alabama, talking about how if anybody could appreciate the concert starting late because of college football, I think the state of Alabama can. But seeing NC State get those two touchdowns in 26 seconds in the fourth quarter to win that game, for me, that was even a better game than the NC State Clemson game. And I think it's a game that doesn't get talked about enough in the 2021 list of games. And I, that's why know, I have it at my number two. I should have had that on there, and I totally forgot about it. So, yeah. So that's, that's a what game I'm saying. I should have had people, people get too caught up with the upset uh, over mm-hmm. Clemson, which was, again, fantastic oh, yeah. contest. I think this one with the two touchdowns in 26 seconds, just yeah. incredible for me. No, definitely. That, that, that should stay up there, too, when we do playoff. Um my number two is the Red River shootout. Um, listen, Texas is up 18 with a minute left in the third. Caleb Williams puts the Sooners on his back. Kennedy Brooks, like Bijan Robinson had such a great game. And it just gets overshadowed by Kennedy Brooks kind of stealing the show with some big runs, and especially the one with three seconds left. Like you're saying, you're thinking, okay, field goal. And nope, takes one to the house. Um, you know, Sarkeesian just can't. I mean, I don't know. I feel like everywhere Sarkeesian goes, just the defense is just terrible. Yeah. Um, and like Texas, defense, not that not that he had much to work with whenever right. he got there, but but like Texas, their defense in the beginning was like, oh hey, their Texas came to, or their defense came to play today. Texas is gonna roll this, and then the second half was just terrible. Um, classic game, classic Red River shootout. 
classic Texas collapse. Red, uh, my number two, the Red River Shootout. All right. right. You're number one. Well, I do have to preface this by saying there's some clear, obvious bias here. Oh, I know what's coming. Uh, for this pick. But being in College Station, when Texas A&M took down Alabama, Jimbo Fisher becomes the first former assistant to beat Nick Saban, which that's going to be fun to talk about later this year. Uh, what a game. What a contest. Kyle Field rocking last second field goal to win the game after AM had led for the whole contest alabama comes back takes the lead i mean this game had everything you could want it's a, a huge upset it's a m- incredible atmosphere uh, i mean nick saban i think got like a hit by a fan and bruised somehow uh which you know is probably why he had some some poor comments about texas a&m buying players that's it's probably why the real bitterness was there <laughs> But it was a fantastic game. Uh, I just, man, there, there was no way I wasn't going to put this at number one. Oh, even that's, why I didn't, that's why I didn't include it, because I knew it was yeah. going to be your number one. Oh, yeah. I, knew I mean, come on. Come on. Being an A&M grad, there's <laughs> yeah. no way that this wasn't going to be my, my, my favorite game of the year. It was a good one. It was a good one. Um, I do have a few honorable mentions I'm just going to mention here. Um Notre Dame at Florida State, App State versus Marshall, which is going to be a cool new rivalry in the Sun. Love that. Love um, that. Bama AM, Ole Miss at Tennessee for obvious reasons. Um, Oregon at UCLA, Michigan, Michigan State, Army and Mizzou in the Armed Forces Bowl, and Bama, Georgia for the national title. Um, but my number one, uh, this game was a little sloppy, but. It was a def- It was a defensive brawl. Penn State, like, Illinois. No, God, no. <laughs> this was a knife fight, and I liked it. It was a nice old rock fight. Oklahoma State, Baylor, Big Twelve Championship. Oh wow, you you brought <laughs> got the you brought the knife out. Had the knife out. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, this one right here, all out war. Baylor doesn't score in the second half at all, but still hangs on the win. Um, Jackson diving to the pylon. These are two programs that I think were people a little surprised that they are in the Big 12 championship, you know, no Oklahoma, no Texas. So they're trying to like, hey, this is our shot here. We need to take advantage of this. And Dave Aranda's group, um, absolutely amazing. Him no-showing the his reaction also. Um, also great. Smash Mouth football game that we don't really get enough. And, yeah, I got Baylor winning the Big 12 championship, beating Oklahoma State. That was my number I, one. I do have one complaint. Guys, don't die for the pylon. Try to run through the guy. I promise you, he he will. you're more likely to get into the end zone trying to run through the guy than you are diving and trying to make it to the corner. I mean, if you're, if you're going around the edge, he can kind of tackle you backwards. I mean, he's going to try to meet you. Right out there. So if you run forward into him, you're more likely to fall forward into the end zone. I'm just saying, maybe we don't try to dive into the corner. Mm. But uh, I also want to bring up an honorable mention: uh, Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, because the Bedlam game this year was also yeah. uh, a fantastic back and forth contest. Uh, mm. One of the games that you know I, I kind of wanted to include, but already having OU Texas on there, uh, which I think was the better game of the two, mm. uh, didn't end up making my list. 
All right. So now, um, all right, Jay, we got we need four. So uh, let's put Red River number one. I think Red River should that's a, a good number one to have here. Okay. So Red River, we got Red River number one. Um, let's put Texas A and M and Alabama in there. We'll put that as a four seed. Uh, for that, okay, four seed for now. Uh, I do want to keep North Carolina and North Carolina's NC State. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I like that. Uh, I think I'm cool with that two or three. Uh, okay, let's put that at. How about that? Let's put. Let's put A and M Bama at two. Okay. And then let's put NC State North Carolina at three. And now what? I think I think Baylor Oklahoma State with it being a championship game has to be. I think that one goes at three, and then UNC NC State at four. Okay, I think we're in agreement. All right, there we go. Okay, so here we go. So our top four, the playoff going into tomorrow. What's we have a North Carolina versus NC State. At number four, at number three, we have Baylor, Oklahoma State for the Big 12 championship. Number two, AM upsets Bama. Jimbo Fisher becomes the first Nick Saban assistant to beat him. And number one, the Red River shootout in the Cotton Bowl. Oklahoma comes back and beats Texas. All right. Well, that concludes our show. Make sure you go on Twitter and follow uh, the Get Back Coach at GB Coach. Um, also follow me at uh, CFB Jake. And also, I mean, most most of our new listeners from Texas are probably already following Jay Arnold. But if they're not, <laughs> that Jay, is going to be at J, just a letter, Arnold, T A M U 85. I would change it to something a lot less uh, complicated and, and complex, but I've got the blue check and I don't want to change it at this point. Uh, so you'll just have to go to at J, just the letter Arnold, T-A-M-U-85, to find my wonderful tweets that will either have you very angry at me or laughing your ass off. Uh, follow us on Instagram. Uh, just get back, coach, all one word. Um our Twitter and Instagram, we post uh, daily videos, pictures of college football every single day. So make sure you check us out. And that concludes our first episode. It's it's so nice to be back, Jay. It is so nice to be back. First episode, second season. I feel like this is going to be the most powerful sequel in existence. Better than Godfather Part 2. Get Back Coach Season 2. We're here. Let's Get ready for college football. We're still two months out, but I'm so excited for this season. I think it's going to be incredible. 11 weeks, baby. 11 weeks. All right. <laughs> See you next week at or on Tuesday. Have a great week, folks. <laughs>